We're going to be in Genesis chapter 32, and I would invite you to turn there. I know up on the screen momentarily, I'll have a few uh, verses from our text, but it may be helpful to you. In fact, I think it will be helpful to you uh, to have your Bible open to Genesis chapter 32. We're going to be between verses 22 and 32. And let me tell you, this is one of the most peculiar accounts in the Bible. And there are several that we are aware of that are just odd, strange. And this is one of those. In this account, Jacob, and I believe I've got a slide up there with Jacob. Jacob. Who was Jacob? The son of Isaac. The grandson of Abraham. The father of Joseph and Judah and, and ten other boys and, and more children. A part of the most important family in the Bible, the family or the bloodline that would eventually result in the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that Jacob finds himself all alone. And then we're told in verse 24 that suddenly he wasn't alone. He was joined by a mysterious visitor and we're told, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Now, this will come as a surprise to most of you, but I am not much of a fighter. Uh, I don't get into wrestling or, as Johnny said, wrestling. I, Johnny, I'm glad you read that text for us this morning because we got not two wrestles, but two wrestles. And Johnny, you wouldn't be the only one from this congregation who would pronounce it that way, I think. But, you know, that may come as a shock, but that's, uh, that's not really my thing. In fact, the closest I ever got to getting into a fight was in middle school. I probably told you this before. I was walking between two of our buildings at Red Bank Middle School up a flight of stairs. And I was carrying my trumpet case with me. And I tripped and fell. And there was another boy walking behind me. And he pointed at me and laughed. And that made me so mad that when he got ahead of me on his way up the stairs, I grabbed my trumpet case and I jammed it into the back of his knees and he fell off to the, sky, the side and I scurried off so that he couldn't find me. That was the closest I ever got to, to uh, getting into a fight. But I'm amazed here, as little as I know about fighting or wrestling, at Jacob's stamina, at his persistence, at his determination. He fights through the night until the breaking of the day with this mysterious man. And what's even stranger is that a little bit later in the text... This man is revealed to be, well, some appearance, some manifestation of God. Jacob recognizes him as God in human form. So we have a story in which Jacob uh, encounters and then wrestles with God. Now, many of you may read this story and you're listening to this sermon and you say, well, that's very interesting. What, an, what a fascinating text. From the Old Testament, but let me ask you, how does this relate to me? What is here in this for me? How can this be applied to my life? Because you know what, Joseph? I've never found myself in a wrestling match with God. And you know, I haven't either. Not in this way. But I bet, I bet that you've wrestled in prayer before, some of you. I bet you've wrestled in prayer. I bet you were praying fervently for something. 
And it didn't seem that God was hearing you. And it didn't seem that God was going to act in the way you were requesting Him to act. And prayer for you became a very frustrating exercise, almost like you were wrestling with God. Maybe you began to feel a little bit like the psalmist who in Psalm 38 verses 21 and 22 said, Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, don't be far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. God, where are you? God, when are you going to do something? God, when are you going to intervene in my situation in the way that I'm asking you? I've been persistent. I, I have not gone a day without praying to you about this. Where are you? You've wrestled in prayer. You've wrestled in prayer like Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 when he reveals to us that he has what he calls a thorn, a messenger from Satan to harass him. And we don't know what that is. Maybe some sort of physical ailment. And he says, I didn't just pray to God. I pleaded with God three times, not once, not twice, but three times that God would remove this from me. And you know what? God said no. He said no. Paul wrestled in prayer. Maybe you feel like you have wrestled in prayer. Maybe you're wrestling in prayer right now. There's something going on in your life. You've been beseeching God. You've been storming the throne room of God, asking Him for help, and it doesn't seem like He hears you. He's not answering. Maybe you've wrestled with doubt. You have asked some big, hard, heavy questions about your faith. Is God even real? Is this man that I read about in the Gospels, Jesus, is he really God's son? Is this book that we call the Bible, is this really God's word? How could a good and all-powerful God exist and there be so much pain and suffering in the world? You've wrestled with doubt. Maybe you're wrestling with doubt currently. You've got some big questions about what you believe that are keeping you up at night. I bet you've wrestled with a teaching from Scripture. I bet you've wrestled with a doctrinal matter. And you've studied. And you've meditated. And you've reflected. And you, you've come to a conclusion and yet you can see the, uh, the viewpoint of those on the other side of it. And you've wrestled with it. And just when you think you've got it pinned down and you feel confident about your conclusion, it slips out from under you like a greased up pig. You just can't seem to get a handle on it. You've wrestled with some teaching from Scripture or I bet you've wrestled with temptation. Some of you, well, goodness, I shouldn't say some of you. All of us wrestle with temptation. We want to do what is right, what is righteous, what is good, but the power of the flesh is so strong. And Satan is working overtime to get us to trip up. And I bet we can relate to what Paul had to say in Romans chapter 7. Paul's words I so connect with in Romans chapter 7. 
You see whether or not you can relate. Paul says in Romans 7.15, I do not understand my own actions. Been there? I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Can you connect with that? He says in verse 18, I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. The flesh is weak. I do not do the good that I want to do, but it's the evil that I don't want to do that I keep on doing. Paul describes a wrestling match with the forces of evil, with temptation. He wrestled with temptation, and so do we. You know, sometimes living by faith feels like a fight. Feels like you've entered the ring. Feels like a wrestling match. And you know what? I think that's okay. I think that's the way that it should be some of the time. In fact, I think about what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. He tells Timothy and the people to whom Timothy is ministering, fight the good, fight of faith. The life of faith is like a fight, says Paul. And Paul, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, as he is nearing the end of his life, what does he say? Well, it's a text that I've shared at many funerals through the years. Paul says, in summing up his life, I have fought the good fight. Sometimes being a Christian feels like being in a wrestling match. Living by faith feels like a fight. And when we come to Genesis chapter 32, Jacob's in a fight. But truth be told, Jacob has been in a fight all his life. He's been in a wrestling match, a struggle. A little bit about Jacob here. Even before he enters the world, we are told a, a, a remarkable detail in Genesis chapter 25, verse 22, that he is struggling together in his mother's womb with his twin brother Esau. The two were already fighting before they came into the world. And Jacob throughout his life struggles with his integrity. His name, Jacob, either means heel grabber because he was holding on to the heel of his brother Esau as he emerged from the womb. Or his name could also mean he cheats or he deceives. And the meaning of that name bears itself out in the life of Jacob. He tricks his brother Esau into giving him uh, his birthright. Esau comes in from the field and he's famished. And Jacob uses his own hunger as a weapon against him. He says, I'll give you some of the stew I'm making if you give me your birthright. And Esau wasn't thinking about the long term, but the short term. And he says, what's my birthright worth to me? I'm, I'm starving. Give me the stew. And so they make this trade. Jacob is deceptive with Esau. He's deceptive with his own father, Isaac. When I, Isaac's eyesight had diminished, he was nearing the end of his life. He was ready to bless his oldest child. What did Jacob do? He posed as his older brother Esau. He acted as if. He dressed as if. He spoke as if he was Esau. And he tricked his own dad, with the help of his mother, by the way, into giving him the blessing that belonged rightfully to his brother Esau. And then a little bit later, he deceived his father-in-law. Now that's not advisable, I don't think. Deceived his own father-in-law. Now his father-in-law Laban had previously deceived him, but he gets him back and he tricks him. He leaves and he doesn't tell him. So throughout 
Jacob's life, there is this thread of deception, of cheating, which is what his very name means. Jacob's life has been a wrestling match. It's been deceit versus integrity. It's been self-sufficiency, taking care of oneself, self-reliance versus trust on God. It's been God's plan versus Jacob's desire. And all that, and all that and more. And, and we're going through Jacob's life pretty quickly here. All of that leads to this. To this moment. To this strange account in Genesis chapter 32. This is a watershed moment in Jacob's life. He finds himself alone. He is, when we meet him here in Genesis chapter 32 verse 22, he is awaiting a reunion with his estranged brother Esau that he struggled with throughout his life, that he cheated and tricked. There is bad blood between these two. And we're told in Genesis 32 verse 7 that Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed of encountering Esau again. It's been many, many years. And we're told that Esau had sent 400 men ahead of him. And Jacob doesn't know if this army that accompanies Esau is going to murder him and murder his family and murder all his servants. He doesn't know. He's afraid. He sends his family across the stream of Jabbok to protect them in verses 22 and 23. And then he finds himself in verse 24 alone. But then, as I said earlier, suddenly he's not alone. Let's read verse 24. Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, watch this, he touched his hip socket. Some sort of fancy wrestling move here, I guess. Touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. It's not a fancy wrestling move because we know with whom Jacob is sparring. We know the supernatural power that he has with one touch. He puts Jacob's hip out of socket. And what's amazing is, even after his injury, Jacob keeps at it. And this is in character for Jacob because his whole life has been grab, grab, grab. That's what his name means, heel grabber. It's been take, take, take. It's been fight, fight, fight. Jacob is nothing if not persistent. He's confident. He's arrogant. So he keeps on fighting despite this injury. Let's keep reading verse 26. Then he said, the man said, let me go for the day is broken. Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob demands from the mysterious man who is God in human form. He demands a blessing. But here's the irony. Jacob has been blessed. He's already been blessed. God, way back when, before he was even born, told his mother among these two sons that you will have, the older shall serve the younger. The younger, Jacob, will have the upper hand over the older. And as I said earlier, it is through the lineage of Jacob that the Savior would someday come. And God renewed his covenant, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his granddad, Isaac, his dad. He renews this covenant with Jacob. He says, as he had said to Abraham and Isaac, I will bring you into the promised land. I will bless you with offspring and through your family, all the nations of earth shall be blessed. Jacob had received this promise 
covenant made with him directly from God above. And yet here, he's still demanding a blessing from this man, from God. And despite the ways that he had been previously blessed, he's about to be blessed again in two significant ways in this wrestling match. Not because, and we really should point out here, not because he demanded it, but because God delights in blessing the people whom he loves. And he blesses Jacob here. Let's keep reading. Verses 27 through 29. And he said to him, what is your name? The man says to Jacob, what is your name? And he says, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob. Your name shall now be called Israel. For you've striven with God and with men and you've prevailed. And Jacob said, tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. He blessed him. Now, if this man is God, does he really need to know the answer to the question that he asks? What is your name? If this is God, and I believe that it is, he already knows the answer to that question. He knows his name. We find throughout the book of Genesis, throughout the scriptures, God asking questions that he already knows the answer to. Why? Because he wants the one to whom he asks to think about the answer. He wants Jacob to consider his name. And to consider what his name means. What is your name? Jacob. He wants Jacob to own up, not to just his name, but what his name means. And how the meaning of his name is played out in his past. The man doesn't reveal his name. Jacob asks, but he gives Jacob a new name. And in so doing, he's telling Jacob, you shall no longer be called Jacob. And you shall no longer be defined by the meaning and the history of that name. You're no longer going to be grabber. You will no longer be deceiver. You're going to put your cheating ways in the rearview mirror. This is a fresh start. This is a blank slate. I will change your name, your new name. It's not Jacob anymore, it's Israel. Which means you have striven with God. And what's remarkable about this name is that this is the name, not just given to him individually, this is the name by which Jacob's family, God's people, this nation shall be known. Israel. He blesses him with a new name. And he also blesses him in this way. Verses 30 and 31. Watch this. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. I wonder if he thinks in this moment, Hey, if I can encounter God in this way, I can encounter my brother too. And by the way, looking ahead a bit, he and his brother have a peaceful reunion. And they reconcile. He thinks, If I can encounter God like this, I can handle whatever is coming with Esau. I've seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Verse 31, the sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. God blesses Jacob with a new name, but he also blesses him with a limp. Well, how is that a blessing? An injury? A lasting injury? It's a blessing. It's a blessing because... It's a constant reminder of the night that he strove with God 
and finally came to grips with his own weakness. It's a reminder every time he takes a step, he will remember the one who is authoring his story. It's a reminder that he doesn't have control over his own life, that he can't make it by himself. A constant quiet reminder as he walks through life of the night that he encountered God, a limp. And you know what I think? I think when we enter the ring, when we wrestle with God, when we struggle in our faith, we are similarly blessed. Well, we're blessed with a new name. When we struggle in prayer, and we're asking day after day for God to do something that He never does, we eventually get to a place where we accept God's will, and we acknowledge that God knows what is best, and we get something that's even better than what we're asking for in prayer. We receive peace. That's what Paul says in Philippians. Peace that passes understanding will fill our hearts when we lay our cares upon Him. So our name is changed to peaceful. And when we struggle with doubt, and we allow ourselves to ask those hard questions, and we dig in, and we go to trusted brothers and sisters in Christ, and we bear our souls, and we share our struggles, and we come to firm conclusions about our faith, our new name will be confident. Confident in what we believe. When we wrestle with those doctrinal matters, with those teachings of Scripture, and we come to tentative conclusions about questions that we have, when we grow in our knowledge, I mean, we're not going to have it all figured out. We're not going to have all the answers to our questions, but we can grow in knowledge, and our new name will be wise, wise in the faith. When we struggle with temptation, when we enter the ring and we're wrestling with those sins and temptations that so quickly ensnare us, and by God's grace and with His help, we overcome those. When we take the way of escape that God so graciously provides from temptation, our name will be overcomer. We can move from deceitful to honest, from self-sufficient to God-reliant. God will change our identity as He changed Jacob. As we wrestle with Him, as we wrestle with our faith. And you know what else we get when we encounter God like this? We get a limp too. A limp. You know, a sign that somebody has encountered God is that they don't walk around with a strut anymore. They lose their swagger. They're no longer proud and arrogant and boastful. They're humble. They realize by grace they have been saved. They realize they don't have it all figured out. They realize they need God every minute and every hour. They walk, we walk with a limp. Paul discovered that God gave him that thorn. Whatever it was, it was given to him, God says, so that he would know my grace is sufficient for you. And my power is made perfect in your weakness. And when you are weak, that is when you're strong. So we walk with a limp. And we're reminded that we must rely on God. So I want to say to you this morning, my friends, my fellow Christians, don't avoid the fight. Don't be afraid to enter the ring. I say to you with the old announcer, let's get ready to rumble. 
Let's not be afraid to wrestle with our faith because good things come from the struggle. And there are blessings on the other side of the wrestling match. It's in the struggle that God can defeat our old selves and make us new. And we're reminded here in this text that God will stop at nothing to get us to trust Him. To get us to put away our self-sufficient, selfish, self-reliant ways and lean on Him and realize that we are nothing without Him. What's amazing to me is that before this, when Jacob prays to God, he addresses Him as the God of Abraham and Isaac. The God, in other words, of my granddad and my daddy. But in the following chapter, when he sets up an altar to God, he calls it the God of Israel or the God of Jacob. In other words, my God. And so the struggle for him produced a change in his thinking. It's not just the God of my forefathers. This is my God. This is my God. I want to tell you that God, God is bent on breaking us of our self reliant ways and he wants our stubborn will at last to yield to him now god's wrestling match with jacob it was a turning point for jacob and truly when god earlier had said to him i will not leave you until i have done what i have promised to you i will not leave you god says the same to us to me and you i will not leave you until i have fulfilled what i've promised to you do not leave me don't ever forsake your Lord. Because if you stick with Him, then what He has promised to you, He will bring about. He has promised a glorious inheritance to all His people, to all His children. and He wants to deliver on that. So be faithful to Him. Place your trust in Him. This was a turning point for Jacob in his life. It was. I mean, there were still hard times ahead. But Jacob was never again the same. God had finally gotten through to him. Today can be a turning point for you. Do you want to come and submit and yield your life to your God, to your Savior, Jesus Christ? You can come and receive life, salvation, peace, community, and all the thousands of other blessings that come with faith in Jesus Christ. You can confess His beautiful name. You can repent of your sins. You can be baptized and come up a new creature. Or if you're struggling in any other way, we invite you to come in the house today or we've been letting you know that you can call our church office during the week if you'd like. Let us know how we can pray for you. Shoot me a personal email. Meet with a couple of our elders after our service this morning. We say all this to say the invitation is not just extended to those in this room, but to anyone down the hall, to anyone at home, if you need the Lord. If you need the peace that only He can provide, we want to invite you to come and enter into a relationship with Him. Why don't you do that right now as we stand and sing?